All right. We've been in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in here for 14 weeks. This is week 14. I love it, dude. I love it. So if you've got your Bibles today, we are starting now the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles today, that's where we're going to be. We've called this series Red Letters because in the Bible, when we see red letters in most translations, this is Jesus' words to us. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' longest recorded message in the New Testament. When Jesus is talking and he's giving a message and he's teaching us how to live and how to act as his followers and how what's the right things to do. This is the longest message that Jesus gives us from Matthew chapter five through Matthew chapter seven. We've already covered Matthew five, Matthew six. We're now in Matthew seven. It's going to be a really, really good time seeing what Jesus says to us today. We said that the theme of Matthew is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many of us want to get to heaven one day? We all do, right? We all want to. But did you know that in the person of Jesus, heaven came down to earth and we can operate in that kingdom as followers of Jesus through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is teaching us how to do this. He wants us to be salt and light in our world. But right after saying that we should be salt and life, he goes into these kind of categories that your Bible breaks down for you of how we should live. We've talked about anger. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about when I have something against someone, I should, if I'm coming to worship, I should leave my worship at the altar or just stop worship there. Go make it right because it matters to God, my interpersonal relationships. We talked about going beyond kindness, uh, the kindness that's required. And we talked about loving our enemies. Last week, we looked at Jesus teaching about worry and anxiety. And what we said was worry is wandering away from God as our source. Jesus gives us victory over anxiety and we can trust him. So let's see today what Jesus has to say to us in Matthew chapter seven. But before we get into that, how many of you guys speak at least two languages? Anybody here speak at least two languages? We have Samantha. Anybody else? Just Samantha. Samantha, Spanish? Yeah. Okay. So um, it's really difficult. I've been trying to learn Spanish for the better part of 20 years. Right. I've been trying to learn. I've been working on it. Right. I'm working on it. Uh, Estoy aprendiendo. Hablo español un poquito. See, good. Right. I said I'm learning. I only talk it a little bit. That's what I said. So I'm I'm learning how to do it. I get really excited when I get to use this other language. And, And for me, like this is like a super sign of intelligence that like you can talk in more than one language. You can like think in more than one language. I get really excited when I get to use it. Uh, uh, this week, Liz and I were, had to go to San Antonio for work. And on the way back into the, um, you know, in the terminal, we we're about to board our flight. It was a direct flight. And this young man, he was probably maybe 21. First time he's ever flown could not speak a word of English, like could not speak a word of English. And he was just so confused because they had like the boarding groups and all this stuff. And he's just like sitting there, like, like literally going around to people and like, do you speak Spanish? Do you speak Spanish? Do you speak Spanish? And I was like, man, I will speak a little bit, but I can help you. And so I explained to him like his boarding group and all this stuff. And then I was like, you know what? We're in the same boarding group. Just follow me on the plane. I said all this to him in Spanish. Spanish. Um, but, um, but I said all this to him and that. And then I was like, just follow me on. We'll go together. He, he didn't know where to sit when he got on the plane. He was like, just kind of wandering around like, like, I don't know why are these people like they know where to sit. And I, and I showed him on his on his thing is 26 Bay, you know, 26 B. This is where you, this is your seat right here. Go sit right here. So I was like, really excited to use the second 
language. One of the other things I like to ask bilingual people is this, is which language do you think in? Like, do you, like when you're walking around, do you think in Spanish? Do you think in English? Do you think in German? Whatever your other language is, what language are you thinking in as you're walking around? And even after you master a new language, and this is kind of what Jesus says uh, today, he throws out one of these. Even after you master, master a new language, there's still a difficult part of language that a non-native speaker has a really hard time with. And this is an idiom. What an idiom is, is just an old saying. It's a figure of speech. It makes sense to the people who naturally speak the language, but it makes no sense to someone who doesn't naturally speak the language or isn't from that culture. While I was in San Antonio last week, I was working with a school principal. She's from Iraq. And there's a lot of things that needed to get worked on in her school. And she was really concerned that she would come across as a complainer. Like if I, if I keep saying like, hey, this needs to get worked on. Can you fix this? Can you address this? Can you do this? Can you do this? That she was worried about coming across as someone who complains a lot. And I told her, I said, well, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And she just kind of looked at me like, what does that even mean? Like, can you explain that to me? Like, that doesn't make any kind of sense. Well, and so I had to say, well, sometimes you need to complain a little bit to get the attention that you need. Sometimes you need to do that a little bit. There are regional idioms, there are regional figures of speech. When I was on staff at a church in Alabama, when my pastor would make a deep point to the congregation and, and the congregation was just sitting there thinking about it, he would say, y'all are looking at me like a cow at a new gate. That's what he would say. And they're like, what does that even mean? Like, I guess it's like, I'm confused. I don't know. Do I go through this gate? Like, like that's what he, but that's what he would say. And so, but this doesn't just happen in English. This guy did an entire Ted talk. If you guys have ever seen Ted talks about figures of speech, idioms, sayings that don't translate into English. So in German, they say this, you have tomatoes on your eyes. Now, for us, it's like, what is that even like? Did I eat the pizza wrong? Like, what, what is happening here? But what it means is you aren't seeing what everyone else is seeing. You're not seeing what everyone else is seeing. So the Germans say you have tomatoes in your eyes. Oh, OK, I guess that's what that means. In Portuguese, they say this. They say pay the duck. And what that means is to blame, to take the blame for something that you didn't do. So if you messed up, you or you didn't mess up, maybe your spouse did it or your kids did it, but you took the blame for it, you would, I guess, in Portuguese, pay the duck. And finally, in French, and there was like 40 of these. I only picked three. Thank you, guys. I'm not going to make you sit through 40 of them. But there was the, the, the last one in French that I picked was this. Uh, the carrots are cooked. Now, what does that mean? OK, delicious French soup. No, that's not what it means. What it means is this situation can't be changed. If a French person came to you and said the carrots are cooked, that means that what's happening right now, we just can't change it. We can't fix it. As we arrive at the portion of Jesus Sermon on the Mount today that's found in the first part of Matthew 7, we see Jesus use an idiom in verse 6. And here's what he says. And you've probably heard this before. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. King James says, don't cast your pearls before swine. How many of you guys have ever heard that saying? Don't cast your pearls before swine. What does that even mean? Now, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. I, I, I imagine like there's like this prim and proper lady that Jesus is talking about and like this, you know, uh, of course, they didn't have like fancy dresses back then, but in a fancy dress, like wading into a, a pig pen and just like casting pearls before swine. No, Jesus is not talking about something literally happening here. 
Most of us, when we hear Jesus tell us, don't throw your pearls before pigs, we're like, um, uh, Jesus, thanks for that. It was not really a temptation that I was worried about. You know, I was never really thinking that I was going to do that. Um, you know, I was never really tempted to do that, but it was never really like a should I or should I not do this? Uh, but Jesus, sure, if you say no, then, then cool, I won't do it. But what does this actually mean? Growing up, and I heard that when I heard this uh, message, I thought that pearls were like wisdom and swine were people that were undeserving of the wisdom, specifically my wisdom, the wisdom that I had, you know, like Jesus says, don't cast my pearls, my wisdom before swine. But given what we've learned from the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus was talking to us and how we should treat other people, especially what he said before this, which we'll get to in a minute. We know that having a prideful attitude and looking down on other people would not be the posture that Jesus wants us to have. Jesus doesn't want us to look down on others. Jesus doesn't want us to sit in a place of pride and think that we're better than other people. That's not what it's about. It's obvious from what he said before. But it, it, so regardless of the context, I, I've actually heard people use this verse to justify this sort of mindset to, that they're better than others in some way. I shouldn't, I'm don't want to cast my pearls before swine. But in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus is talking to a young man that had a position of privilege, this young man was a, he was a very rich man and he was conversing with Jesus. And one of the things Jesus said was this, that many who are first will be last and the last will be first in the kingdom. And so this idea that we as Christians could ever walk around thinking that we're better than that someone else are thinking that we have that, that they don't deserve, you know, God's love or God's grace or God's mercy or they don't deserve something that we have. That's just not something that lines up with Scripture. It just doesn't line up. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your education. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter your family. It just doesn't line up with what Jesus is saying here. So we should never take this posture that we're better than other people, that somehow if they'd only worked as hard as us, if they only made smarter decisions, if they were only better than with their money, then somehow that they would be on our level. No, Jesus is not saying that here when he says casting our pearls before swine. How do we know this is what Jesus means here? Well, let's go up to verse one and see what he says to make this point. Verse one, judge not that you will be not judged. Judge not that you will be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. We talk about this, uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago regarding forgiveness. The measure that we use will be measured back to us. And here Jesus says that this will happen to judgment too. So if I want to be hypercritical of other people, other people specifically, other people groups, if I want to be hypercritical of them, then I will be judged hypercritically as well. This is what Jesus is saying. Whatever measure you use is going to be measured back to you. We actually see this in a lot of households. How many of you guys have ever heard of like a perfectionist in a household? How many of you guys grew up with a perfectionist in the household? Perfectionists. And what happens a lot of times is they nitpick other people. But when the kids get older or the spouse gets tired of it, it all comes back on them. It all comes back on them. The measure that they use to judge other people is measured back to them. But there's a balance to this. 
When Jesus says don't judge here, he doesn't mean don't think. He doesn't mean that we should just like suspend justice and holiness and righteousness, that we should just let everybody do what everybody wants to do, that we should never like say, hey, that really doesn't line up with what the Bible teaches. Like we, he's not telling us to ignore those things. Uh, really, uh, if we look at our culture today, it seems to be that there's divided into two camps. There's a group of people who are hypercritical of others. And then there's those who think that everything should be allowed and you should have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. And sometimes even that group can be hypercritical of those who would maybe in the middle and say, wait, no, you can't do whatever you want to do. Like you can't just do whatever you want. There's got to be a line somewhere. There's got to be right and wrong. And so judge not doesn't mean that, the, that we just kind of say, well, I'm just not going to, uh, anybody can do whatever they want. That's not what it means. But what it means is that we should be generous with our judgment of other people. John Stark says this, he says, this is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Don't make it a practice of negatively judging others. Do you know somebody like that? Do you know somebody who's like just constantly like just the, like giving people like the, the, the they, they should have done this or they should have done that or 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 their motives were so wrong or they they, they they're all wrong. Like everybody they, they, do you know somebody like that? Do you know somebody who's always in a fight with someone else? Do you know somebody who's, who's constantly like they've got to be in a battle with someone else? Do you know someone like that? Jesus is saying whatever measure we use, whatever judgment we use on other people, that is going to be judged back to us. He continues in Matthew 7. He says this. Why do you see the speck, the little speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how do you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you can clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus uses this, this idea of that, hey, the other people, for people who nitpick, for people who are, who are always constantly judging other people, like they would just see this small, tiny little piece of sawdust in someone else, this small fault in someone else, and yet they would ignore the huge faults in their own selves, the huge log in their own eye, and they would ignore that. And so what Jesus is saying is don't do that. If you're doing that, you're being a hypocrite. You're being a hypocrite. If someone else acts wrongly, many people are quick to point out the worst of intentions. You know somebody like that? If someone else does something wrong, like it's like, I can't believe that you would think like that. You would do like that. Like you, you're just a terrible person. Like, how, have you ever thought like that? Have you ever thought like that when someone else makes a mistake? When someone else makes a mistake, it's because they're a terrible person. When I make a mistake, I'm a good person. I just made a mistake. That's what happens. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. We can't do this. We have to be generous with our judgment. We can't always think, you know, if, if there was like a, a bucket or something of like expectations. So like there's, I've talked to you guys about this before. So they're like, our expectations are here. And then reality is like here. And then how we judge people is like the difference between those two. So when they don't meet our expectations and reality is down here, if I want to put negativity 
into this, if I want to put just assuming the worst about them into this, then I'm going to create issues and those issues are going to come back on me. We should only consider the flaws and failures of others. And this is really what Jesus is saying. We should only consider the flaws and failures of others after first and more strictly evaluating our own flaws and failures. So I can consider the flaws and failures of others. I can look and say, okay, well, they probably dropped the ball here. Yeah, they probably failed here. Yeah, they probably did this. But first, the first thing I have to do is I have to consider my own flaws and my own failures. Early church father John Chrysostom said this, make the judgment seat dreadful to thyself and the account strict. What that means is when I sit in judgment, I shouldn't make it like just, uh, you know, you've ever met somebody that you have to walk on eggshells around. That's another idiom. Walk on eggshells like I got to just tiptoe around them because I'm so worried that I'm going to make them angry. I'm so worried that I'm going to make them upset. I'm so worried that that I'm just going to you know take them off somehow. So because their, their judgment is harsh, their judgment is mean. They're, they're just mean. I got to be careful with them. But what John Chrysostom is saying is, hey, you know, do that to yourself. Like just be if you're going to be critical, be critical of yourself. Make the account strict. Save the harshest criticisms. Save those for yourself. And then if you're going to hold someone strictly accountable for their words and actions, let that be yourself first and foremost. Now, do you need to love yourself to love others? Absolutely. Does God love you? Absolutely. So this doesn't mean that you need to get depressed. You need to beat yourself up all the time and all this. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that we can't hold someone else to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. We can't look at someone else and say, hey, you've got this piece of sawdust in your eye. You've got this little issue. You need to work that out. You need to fix that when we have issues that we're just letting sit in our lives. That we have issues that we've just become comfortable with. No, we have to first and foremost hold ourselves accountable for our actions before we do that with other people. Now, with this understanding of what Jesus is telling us of how we should judge others. Notice he didn't say that we can't judge others. We can, but we have to judge ourselves first. With this understanding, now let's read what he says. In verse six, again, do not give to the dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. No one would understand that this passage justifies that you think more of yourself than others if they read what Jesus had just said. Now, let's look at this. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. Are pearls good? We would all say pearls are good. Ladies, would you like it if your man bought you some pearls? Yes. Men, would you like it if your woman bought you a watch that was inlaid with pearls? I know you probably wouldn't wear pearls like around your neck. You know, neither might. But um, but you just wouldn't do that. Right. But but pearls are good. Like, that's a good thing, man. That's a cool gift. Right. It's an expensive gift. Are swine. You know, he's talking about don't throw your pearls before swine. Are swine bad? Not necessarily. In that culture, they were unclean, but that doesn't make them bad. They're created by God. God said that they were good. So so like it's not necessarily. So does swine know what to do with pearls, though? No. Swine doesn't know what to do with it. So this isn't a case of taking something good and giving it to something good or taking something good and giving it to something bad. What Jesus is talking about is when we take something good and give it to something that doesn't know what to do with it. 
We take something good and we give it to something that doesn't know what to do with it. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. I want to wrap up with just this thought here. I want to back up to what Jesus said to us last week. Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter six, verse 25 through 33. Do not be anxious about your life, whatever you will eat or whatever you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He goes on to say, for your heavenly father knows what you need and that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things are added to you. What Jesus is saying here is the way of life in the kingdom is trusting God for me. I have to trust God to take care of me. I don't need to live in anxiety. I don't need to live in fear. I don't need to live in concern that I'm not going to have enough. I don't need to live in concern that I'm not going to have anything to wear or anything to eat. God will take care of me. And so as I'm following Jesus, as I'm being led by the spirit, as I'm I'm living this life out, as I'm learning to live in the kingdom now as a child of God, I have to trust God to take care of me. Then in in verse uh, in chapter seven, Jesus tells us not to judge others. As people, we use judgment as a way to control and manipulate other people to do what we want them to do. You ever met someone like that? Has that ever happened to you? You you use judgment to control and manipulate people to do what you want to do. We we don't have to, though. We don't have to. We can let the Holy Spirit, just like the Holy Spirit is leading them, we can let the Holy Spirit, or leading us, we can let the Holy Spirit lead them and just be salt, light, love to them. And so the kingdom of God is trusting God to take care of me, but by not judging, I am trusting God to take care of others. So I'm trusting God to take care of me and I'm trusting God to take care of others. Now, we also might try to control people through judgment, through the negative side, but we might try to control people by giving them things, good things that they aren't ready or able to appreciate. The highest thing of value when Jesus is talking about pearls, he's talking about things of value and he's talking about dogs and things that are holy. The highest thing to the early thing of value to the early followers of Jesus was the message of the gospel. And what Jesus is implying here is that some people just aren't going to be ready for it. So what we should do, should we just shove it down their throats? You will be a Christian. You will serve Jesus. Or can we step back? Love them, be a good example for them and trust them to God's care. There may be someone in your family that you've been praying for for years. Don't stop praying. There may be someone in your life, maybe a coworker, maybe someone who you're like, man, I've been asking God to get a hold of their heart, to change them. Don't stop praying. Don't stop loving. Don't stop being salt and light. Don't stop being the person that that is an example of how to serve Jesus and how to love and how to how to be where they are. If we cross over to this idea of that, we're going to judge them, that we're going to that they're somehow less than us, then we lose the whole 
gains that we've made with them. We have to sit there and say, you know what? I'm going to let God deal with them. I'm not going to force them to move anything in their life. I'm just going to say, I'm not going to judge you, but I'm going to love you. And whenever I need to be honest with you, whenever I need to call things out, I will. But I'm going to do it in a spirit of love because I trust God to take care of me and I trust God to take care of you. Who is someone that you're hoping comes to a relationship with Jesus? I think we all have someone who like that in our life. I think we all have someone who, who we would say, man, I, I really hope that God would just grab a hold of their heart. I really hope I've been praying. I've been trying to live the right way. I've been trying to do the right things. I, I've been trying to set a good example for me. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just grab a hold of their heart. Who is someone that you hope comes into a relationship with Jesus? Think about that. And if you're like, I don't know, go meet somebody. Go make a friend. Go talk to the waitress. <laughs> talk to somebody. Because we are meant to be salt and light. Who is someone that you hope comes into a relationship with Jesus? And can you trust them into God's care? Can you trust them into God's care? And lastly, If we want God to get a hold of someone else and to change their heart and to make them more like him, to bring them into relationship with him, do you know what we have to do? We have to do that first. And so today what I want to do is I, I want you thinking, who, who is someone that I want to see come into a relationship with Jesus? And then I want you to think, how do I need a deeper relationship with Jesus?